Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 235. On today's show, we talk about the new UNESCO World Heritage Sites for 2023. Let's dig a little deeper and get those sites nominated. <laughs> the ones not on the list. Uh, yeah. Like, all the other ones. Not already on the list. Not already on the list. It's like okay. every site in the world. Every site in the world. <laughs> welcome to the show, everyone. Hello. <laughs> Are you trying to be mean? <laughs> no. That's annoying. <laughs> yeah. You do always ask me how it's going, and I'm like, I don't know. I live with you. How do you think it's going? <laughs> and you always lie and say it's going well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. <laughs> oh, All right. Well, there's been a number of things in the news, and one of those, I saw just a handful of articles, probably third week of September or so, give or take, about... People being a little sarcastic and a little bit uh, astonished, I would say, or <laughs> or whatever the word is, that they would say a new UNESCO World Heritage Site in the United States, and then it was comma in Ohio question mark. <laughs> I even saw a Weather Channel video that said the same thing. Oh, is that where you saw it? Okay. No, I saw it in articles. I saw it in a Weather Channel oh, okay. video. I saw it in a bunch of different places, mm-hmm. and I'm just like. Okay, first off, Ohio's not that bad. <laughs> there can be World Heritage Sites there. Right. But it's true that a lot of people don't know what is there and what Ohio archaeologically and prehistorically is kind of known for. Mm-hmm. And kind of at the same time where you were seeing articles about that, I saw an article from The Independent, which I think is a British publication, called The 27 New UNESCO World Heritage Sites for 2023 Revealed. I think uh, Ted Krim is a reporter for The Independent. I don't know who that is. Ted Lasso. Oh. <laughs> Did he always say that? Oh, that's right. Ted Kirk, the independent. <laughs> no, he wasn't Ted. He was... Or not Ted. Um, what was his first name? I don't know. Anyway. I don't remember, but yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't Ted. Yeah. So anyway, that piqued my interest and I started talking to you about it and you were like, oh yeah, I saw stuff about Ohio and I was like, okay, we need to talk about the UNESCO World Heritage Sites because I think we've mentioned many of them over, sure. over the years. And we've talked about, oh, this is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, but we've never talked about what it is, what they do, how they decide, or anything like that. And like, why? Why would you even want to be one in the first place? So we seem like because they're meeting right now and deciding on what sites are going to be listed on the UNESCO World Heritage List, we figured it'd be a good time to talk about Mm -hmm. what that means and why you would even want to be on that list. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to start... UNESCO is from the United Nations. Right. Of course, that's what the UN stands for. Mm-hmm. And it's the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, mm-hmm. or UNESCO. I actually knew I knew UNESCO was UN, but I actually don't think I knew what UNESCO stood for until I we did this. I didn't know that either. <laughs> and, and in doing this research, I was like, oh, it's not just like cultural and archaeological sites. It's also like natural 
wonders of the world yeah. and other like scientific things like that. It's not it's not just cultural. So mm-hmm. so yeah, and and like I said, this article that I found said twenty seven new sites, but just to point out, it was published on September nineteenth. This article was, yeah. and that number has risen to forty two right. since they published that article. What three days ago? It's yeah. the twenty second as we're recording this. So they're actively meeting now, and as they add new properties, I guess they're like releasing them as they go, and that number is increasing. So mm-hmm. we're actually up to forty two new properties. And you know what? I didn't even check it today. It could be higher than that at this point. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> I don't know what schedule they're on, but but yeah, they're adding a lot of new properties as they meet. So yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how often they meet. It's every few years, I think, the cultural body of the U- of the UN. But they're meeting in Riyadh, uh, Saudi Arabia, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should get Paul to go over there and be our man on the field. I know, right? Yeah, do the uh, do some reporting. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Paul is my co-host of the Architect Podcast. Which, if anybody listens to that, we're on a little bit of a hold just because I've had crazy stuff going on, and Paul's got Paul's in Saudi Arabia, and it just hasn't worked out. So we're mm-hmm. just kind of taking a little bit of a break for a few episodes. But either way, the committee members, which I like to also know who the committee members of the cultural body for the UN are. Mm-hmm. But they are choosing from a list of nominations. So in order to become a UNESCO World Heritage Site, you have to nominate the site to the UN. Right. Right. And then they just basically decide on it. And they're looking at nominations that have been submitted throughout 2022 and 2023. Mm-hmm. So. And those nominations have to meet one of 10 criteria to even be considered. So the list of criteria is very like jargony and mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of ridiculous but we'll we'll run through it really quick just so you have an idea. Okay, so the first like five or six of these are are cul- cultural related. The first one being a masterpiece of human creative genius and then the second one is important interchange of human values over a span of time or within a cultural area of the world that would be things like architecture, technology, monumental mm-hmm. arts, town planning, stuff like that. The third one is to bear a unique or at least exceptional testimony to cultural tradition. So that's the the tradition piece of it all. The fourth one is to be an outstanding example of a type of building architecture or technological ensemble or landscape, which I think will come into play with the Ohio one. Five is outstanding example of traditional human settlement, blah, 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 you know, there's more description of why that would be one of the criteria. The sixth one is directly or tangibly associated with events or living traditions, with ideas or with beliefs. And that one is intended to be used in conjunction with another criteria. Mm. So you won't see that one used by itself, probably. Okay, and then the last four are related to like natural phenomena. The, The seventh one is while superlative natural phenomenon or or areas of exceptional natural beauty. Outstanding examples of major stages of Earth's history, so a little bit more geology-focused for number eight. Number nine is representing significant ongoing ecological and biological processes in the evolution and development of various ecosystems. And then finally, ten is to contain the most important and significant natural habitats for in situ conservation of biological diversity. So Mm -hmm. biology, ecology, geology, those are all represented in the last four. So you don't really hear about those quite as much because there just aren't as many of them. Yeah. And I wonder why that is. Like, 
but it, you know you have to nominate them in order for them to be included in the list and this list has really grown to be like primarily cultural sites it seems like so yeah so yeah so that's all the criteria kind of a kind of ran through that super quickly you can go read all about them we'll make sure the link is in the show notes but well, yeah a, a lot of those criteria are very similar in nature to the criteria for listing on the national register yeah. of historic places yeah yeah, yeah, they have to be so, significant. They need to relate to, yeah. you know, a place or a person or a technology that is significant, essentially, is if you want yeah. to break it down to just the, like, basic facts of it. So, yeah. Yeah, and the article you were mentioning from The Independent does not list the uh, Ohio side. No, it doesn't. And that's because <laughs> it's three days old. Yeah. And I found an article two days old that does list it. Yes. Yeah, yeah it hadn't come out yet in that yeah. Independent article. And then, like, literally a day later, they added... Another, yeah. I don't know, 13 sites or something or 15 sites to what right. the independent article was about. So, yeah. Yeah. The Hopewell Ceremony Earthworks, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. So. So at this point, they're at 42 new properties. And this is from all the ones that were nominated in 2022 and 2023. I don't mm-hmm. know why they didn't meet in 2022. Maybe it's like an every two year thing or something yeah, like that. I know. And in addition to those, there's also five significant modification to the boundaries because if you want to change the boundary of a site that's already listed you have to also yeah. put that up for a proposal right and i really thought the independent article was funny too because <laughs> the very, it's so like snarky british but one <laughs> of the very last things it says is that there are no new sites in the uk despite the government announcing in april that it was backing seven sites in their bids to be recognized <laughs> <laughs> nice. So either they just haven't gotten to them yet, or the uh, the Brit sites just didn't make the cut. But the independent, oh, I don't know, like that that Brit like dry wit really comes through. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if they meant it that way, but that's how I took it. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm looking at the list from a couple days ago, which is the most current one I was able to find okay, so far. Yeah. I do not see anything from the UK. <laughs> I didn't either, and I'm actually on the UNESCO website. I don't yeah. think any of the ones that they nominated Aww. made it. So yeah, sorry. Sorry, not this year, but... You've probably got a lot, though, probably. so don't worry about it. Yeah, so we'll get to some of the criticisms of UNESCO at the end, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's take a break and talk about some of the new sites that were listed, including the Hopewell Ceremonial Earthworks in Ohio, on the other side of the break, back in a minute. Welcome back to episode 235 of the Archaeology Show, and we're talking about the new UNESCO World Heritage Sites for 2023. And of course... One of the big ones here in the United States, in fact, I think the only one in the United States that I've seen so far that has been accepted to the list. I don't know what else was nominated, but I didn't see anything else on the United States list in the most yeah. recent article I found. I, I think Hopewell is the only one that I saw. Yeah. For sure. At least of new new ones. There's other ones that are on the list. Oh, yeah. Course, I think what I read a couple of days ago when I was reading articles, there are 25. Now, I don't know if this makes 26 or what, but we've got a number of UNESCO World Heritage Sites here. Yep. But anyway, Hopewell. So, if you've never been there, it's a pretty crazy place. And the UNESCO World Heritage Site is actually eight different locations that make up the Hopewell culture, Mm -hmm. they call it. And it is a national park, I believe, right? We've been there in... uh, It's not a national park, I don't think. I thought it was like Hopewell National Cultural Historic Park or something like that. Well, I'll look it up right now. I'm pretty sure it's just a Ohio State Park or something like that. Huh. Well, anyway, it was... uh, While Rachel's looking that up... It was in, I believe, Chillicothe is uh, the little town in Ohio where, like, the, I don't know. It's the Hopewell Culture National Historic Park. That's what I said. Yeah, but it's not not a national park. It's Uh, a national historical park, which is a different designation. Well. But, yeah. But it is on the NPS website, so, It's probably felt a little slighted by all its national park buddies, but now it's a UNESCO (laughs) World Heritage Site, so suck it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
So anyway, what this is, is again, the actual property here is a series of eight monumental earthen enclosure complexes built Mm -hmm. between 2000 and 1600 years ago along some of the tributaries, some of the central tributaries of the Ohio River. They are surviving expressions of the indigenous tradition that that archaeologists and historians refer to as Hopewell culture. Mm Mm-hmm. These things are massive geometric figures. There's one that's like a, a snake that's like eating a sun. There's mm-hmm. uh, other mounds that are like represent plazas, and there's all kinds of different things. Some of these are aligned with cycles of the sun, and, and it's actually been shown if you if you go back to two thousand to sixteen hundred years ago, where the you know the Earth was in a slightly different wobble. It lines up exactly with the sun. Some of these, some of these enclosures do, mm-hmm. and that's yep. actually pretty cool. Yeah, it's yeah. very sophisticated when you it, think about it. Yeah, right. Like yeah. that's a, some pretty sophisticated architecture, which is probably why it fit the criteria and was able to be nominated to be included yeah. on the UNESCO list. So yeah, yeah, and it's it wasn't. I think one of the reasons it's probably a UNESCO World Heritage Site is because it was important to not just the people in you know what became Southern Ohio mm-hmm. or Central Ohio. But it was uh, important to people regionally, too, and, and from far-reaching places, because they found really finely crafted ritual objects from exotic materials from far away places mm-hmm. that, that have been found at the Hopewell sites, indicating that people came there, or at least traded with people there from all around mm-hmm. in order to, you know, who, who knows what, yeah. maybe, maybe come and, I don't know. Worship at the ritual sites. Who knows? <laughs> right. But well, I can tell you exactly what criteria it qualified under. That would be criteria one and three, and one oh. is representing a masterpiece of human creative genius, and three was to bear a unique or at least exceptional testimony to a cultural tradition or to a civilization which is living or has disappeared. Yeah. So the Hopewell culture. I'm not really sure what the representatives of that culture are like today, but they certainly were thriving in the past. And this is an example of what they looked like, you know, what, a thousand, two thousand years ago, yeah. a thousand years ago, or whatever it was. So, yeah. I'm telling you, I grew up near the mountains in the West. And this is what people who didn't grow up near the mountains do. They make their own mountains because Hopewell <laughs> yeah. is, I mean, it's it's along the same lines, but at, at a shorter scale, not a smaller scale, I would say. That's an incorrect word. Mm-hmm. But it's like Cahokia yeah. up in St. Louis, right, right. Uh, Missouri. And what well, really, East St. Louis. Yeah, it's East St. Louis. Yeah, yeah, which is Illinois, I think. I think it is. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, you know, the mounds that are you know, 100 feet high or more and just massive, these big pyramids and like mm-hmm. a whole city of them, you know, they just built their own things. Yeah. And the, the labor that it would take to do that kind of thing is just totally crazy. And yeah. and, the, and not only that, but the mounds that are down in the Hopewell culture area are, again, they're not as tall, but they're just as elaborate. Mm-hmm. And they just, the symmetry of them and the alignments and the amount of people it would have taken and the time it would have taken to make some of these is just uh, really impressive. It's very, very sophisticated. And it, it makes you wish you could see what it looked like in its heyday, you know? Because mm-hmm. now they are... And this is why some of the articles you saw were like, in Ohio, question mark? Right, right. Because when you look at it now, it does just look like... like small hills <laughs> covered in grass. But mm-hmm. you have to imagine that when these were in use by people, there probably were structures on the top of them. And they, yeah. they reached much higher than just, you know, the hills that, that they have become today. They've eroded. They've been hit by plows. Farmers have done, yeah. not intentionally, but lots of damage to these kind of mounds over the years because they're trying to plant their crops. You know, mm-hmm. no shade on farmers, but that's just something that happened before these kind of things were protected. So yeah. what we're seeing today is... Amazing, but it can't. I'm sure it doesn't even hold a candle to what it looked like, you know, right. 2,000 years ago in their heyday. So, so yeah. All right. So, what else have we got? 
All right. Well, yeah, there, like we said, there's 42 other sites that have been added to the list and 33 of those are cultural, nine are natural, and then five are having significant boundary changes. And, you know, we're not going to talk about all 42 of them. That would be a lot, but we, you know, kind of scrolled through and Mm -hmm. picked out a couple of our favorites. (laughs) So one that I thought was really cool is in Mongolia and it is the Deerstone Monuments and Related Bronze Age Sites. And this one also qualifies under one criteria, one and three, like Hopewell does. And I, I just was really grabbed by the picture. Do you remember during <laughs> during the pandemic when those monoliths were showing up around the world and people oh, were just yeah. like putting them in random places? Yeah. This these look like ancient monoliths. Yeah, they really do. <laughs> now I'm not saying that there is any kind of aliens involved in these. These were clearly created. In Mongolia, they date to about 1200 to 600 BCE. They belong to the culture of the of Eurasian Bronze Age nomads that evolved in this time period. Mm-hmm. So anyway, <laughs> they definitely belong to this group of people. They're elaborately carved. They're tall. They're like four meters tall. They just are really, really cool looking. But they did remind me of those monoliths a little bit, which just gave me a little bit of a laugh, too. So <laughs> so there you go. Nice. But yeah, can you imagine just like walking along in Mongolia and coming across this like four meter tall, just like stone carved stone in yeah. the ground? <laughs> and, the, and the carvings are really intricate, too. Yeah, when they, you they look are. At them. They're really cool. Yeah. They were covered in highly stylized or representational engravings of stags. And they're the most important surviving structures belonging to this culture. So So that's why they're being added to the UNESCO World Heritage Site. So, yeah. Nice. Well, I picked one that's a little more topical. It's the uh, Zagori Cultural Landscape in Greece. Oh, I saw that one. Yeah. The only one I saw in Greece on the current list. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, there might be more coming out here soon, but it's the only one I saw. Mm -hmm. But this is in a remote rural landscape in northwestern Greece. It's small stone villages. They call them... Oh, I'm going to get this real wrong. It doesn't even look like a Greek word. Zagoro Choria. Zagoro Zagoro Chia? I don't know. Yeah. Choria, I saw I that area in Greece when I was like hunting around for Airbnbs. Yeah. It's kind of in the northern part of Greece, I, I believe, right? Yeah, northwestern like yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they extend along the western slopes of the northern part of the Pindus mountain range. Uh-huh. And these villages, they're says they're typically organized around a central square containing a plain tree, a plain tree, just like this tree is not special. <laughs> sure. And surrounded by sacred forests <laughs> maintained by local communities. They showcase traditional architecture adapted to the mountain topography, a network of stone arched bridges, stone cobbled paths, and stone staircases linking the villages that formed a system that served as a political and social unit connecting the communities of the Voidamis, Voimatatis, Voimatis, I don't even know, river basin. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a, it's, it's a really cool little area. I'm kind of like... You know, sure, this is important to Greece, but like, how's this a UNESCO World Heritage Site kind of thing? But anyway, well, what are the criteria? It should say uh, right up under the yeah the under name. the description. Yeah. yeah, criteria five. Criteria five Which, is outstanding example of traditional human settlement, land use, or sea use. Yeah, I mean it is that the culture. Yeah. I think because they're you know the striking mountains there and the yeah. way they use the the topography there to kind of yeah. you know build their villages and stuff is just. Very unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It also comes down to sometimes like uh, when somebody wins an award because they were the only one nominated. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it doesn't mean that this is more important than someplace else that could have even a better right. representation of this kind of thing. It's just that that wasn't nominated. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these things take people to nominate them like the National Register of Historic Places here in this country in the United States. Yeah. 
things don't get put on that list because they're important. No. They get put on that list because somebody nominates somebody them. Somebody nominates them. Yeah. And then somebody says, do they fit the criteria? Yeah, totally. And that's basically it. Yeah. So if you know something, if you know of a site or a or something that you think is culturally important and you want to protect it, then mm-hmm. you have to go through the hard work to nominate it. Yeah. And it is not easy to yeah. nominate something to the NRHP. And I imagine it's even worse from an application standpoint <laughs> to nominate something as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Yeah, absolutely. So the next one I picked out is the old town of Koldija, which is in Latvia. And I like this one because it's kind of like completely opposite from the ones that we've talked about already. This is a town that was, it was the most important administrative center of the Duchy of Courland and Semigalia between the 16th and 18th centuries. Mm. So this is a much newer example of a site that gets included on the UNESCO World Heritage Site. And also, it's an active town. Like, people live here. Yeah. You know? So, so towns can be included on the list, and a lot are. And the reason that this one is included, it was nominated under Criteria 5, which is the architecture one mm-hmm. again. And the town structure of Koldija, it's it has largely ret- retained the street layout of that time period, the 16th to 18th century. And it includes traditional log architecture as well as foreign-influenced styles that illustrate the rich exchange between local and traveling craftspeople from around the Baltic Sea. Yeah. So it was this sort of confluence of different people coming from different places, influencing the the building of this town and the architecture and kind of this like melting pot of the region. Mm-hmm. And that's why it was considered important enough to be listed on the UNESCO World Heritage Site. It is a little surprising because, again, it's like a current town that people live in and yeah. it, is, it is occupied. But, you know, like you said, if you nominate it, <laughs> you have to nominate it to even be right. considered. And somebody did and they, and they were. So, yeah. Yeah. And the pictures, there's a picture of a like a cart somebody would pull along by a horse or by themselves and i see a loom in the background too from yeah. duke jacob's fair at the town hall square a celebration of autumn i want to go to a I know. old town like celebration old- of autumn <laughs> right, totally. seriously yeah i absolutely autumn, I is, the, autumn is the best just the best <laughs> yeah. i love it all right well we're not gonna cover too many more of these because like we said there are like 40 of them but it is worth going and looking at the whole list and just kind of scrolling through the UNESCO World Heritage Site has this really amazing little paragraph of description Mm -hmm. for each one of these there's places from Lithuania, from Guatemala Spain, India Turkmenistan Ethiopia, like they are from all over the world and we didn't even touch on the natural wonders stuff being that this is you know an archaeology podcast but there's you know all those sites too so so definitely go take a look and just look at all of the amazing places that even if you're a skeptic of UNESCO and what they do, and we'll talk about why you might be in the third segment, even if you're a, a skeptic of it, it's still great to go learn about these places that you might not have yeah. known about before. So, yeah. All right. Well, with that, getting put on the UNESCO World Heritage List means you you could be afforded some protections, but your country that, that owns it basically has got to basically honor those protections. Right. The UN has very little power. Right. They can when designate things. These, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they have very little power to begin with and yeah, from yeah. some countries' point of view. Right. Especially the United States. We're very arrogant and we're like, UN, get out of here. But anyway, <laughs> when it comes down to those kinds of things, yeah, it really does rely on the country that has the site to or the location or wherever that is to really put some protections on it, which is why on the other side of the break, we'll talk about some World Heritage sites that are in danger mm-hmm. because they're not all fully protected by getting on this list. Back in a minute. 
Welcome back to episode 235 of the Archaeology Show, and we are talking about UNESCO World Heritage Sites, and now we're going to talk about what happens when the protections don't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the other thing that UNESCO publishes in this time period is the list of sites that are either put on the danger list or removed from the danger list. And they actually call it that World Heritage Sites in Danger. Mm-hmm. So we'll start with the like ray of hope here and the good news. <laughs> <laughs> Uganda's Tombs of the Kings in Buganda are to be removed from the list of World Heritage Sites oh, in nice. Danger. Yeah, they were originally put on the list, the danger list, after a devastating fire in 2010. So it doesn't sound like it was anything that was the fault of the country exactly. It was just sort of a natural disaster that occurred. And then because the, of the extensive fire damage, there was work that needed to be done to get the site back into good condition. Right. So there was successful restoration work, and that work has been supported by UNESCO, both financially and technologically and everything. So it they did get a lot of support. And they successfully completed it this year. So they are off of the danger list. Nice. There you go. Yeah. And then just a little bit about the site itself. Most of it is farmland. But at the center, there is a hill. And at the top of the hill is the former palace of the Kabakas of Buganda. It was built in 1882. And then it was transformed into a royal cemetery in 1884. So not a super old site. But it was very important to the sort of ruling kingdoms of this area. There are four tombs on the site there, and the reason they were listed by UNESCO is because it's an important example of architecture using organic materials, Mm -hmm. wood, thatch, reeds, and plaster in particular. That's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. It was a major spiritual center as well for the Baganda people, and traditional cultural practices have been kept alive here for a while, so that's really neat. And it was originally listed in 2001, but of course, after that fire in 2010, it was put on the danger list, and now that restoration and reconstruction has been successfully completed it is on the good list again so nice. yay. or not the not in danger list it was always on the good list but <laughs> yeah. yeah one thing that the one of the articles we're listening we're listing here shows and you might remember this from 2015 you might not it was talked about a lot in archaeological circles but the city of palmyra mm-hmm. yeah. It is located in Syria, and it was blown up in 2015 Mm. by ISIS. Yeah, they were almost specifically destroying heritage sites. Right, right. You know, to kind of rewrite their own history. Yeah. And it was called the Hadrian Gate, which was right there in the city of Palmyra. Mm -hmm. Um, That's specifically what was blown up. Yeah. And it's just crazy. And they're just saying that it doesn't matter that it was a UNESCO World Heritage Site. ISIS didn't care that it was. No, they didn't care at all. Yeah, Yeah. they didn't care at all. Yeah. So, totally blown up. And with all of the, like, conflict and strife going on in the world, you have to imagine that cultural sites are going to be affected by that sometimes. Mm -hmm. And all that these guys in this circumstance can do is basically provide funding to help write the sites once it's safe to do so, yeah. you know? And that's what they did in the case of the Uganda site. And I'm sure that there are other sites that have been in danger or destroyed in the case of that, the mm-hmm. gate there that you're talking about that are, you know, getting whatever help they can get. So, yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately there are two more sites that are getting added to the world heritage sites in danger. And I'm sure this won't come as a shock to anybody, (laughs) but those two sites are in Ukraine. Yeah. The first is the St. Sophia Cathedral and the related monastic buildings in Kiev. And then the other is the historic center in the city of Lviv. Is that how you would pronounce that? L apostrophe V-I-V. Yeah, maybe. Lviv, Lviv. So 
Viva la Viv. <laughs> right. So, of course, they are considered in danger due to the threat of destruction that the Roman offensive possesses. I mean, the Romans probably were oh, going to destroy it if wow. they were there. Not Romans. Yes. The Russians. It's very, I feel like it's very similar. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, not it's not close at all. No, not similar at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, threat of destruction from the Russian. The Russians. The Russians yes. and their offensive posturing that they're doing over there. So, <laughs> yeah. anyway. Yeah, and and the reason, one, well, one of the main reasons is that they are vulnerable to the shock waves that are caused by bombing in and near those cities. Yeah. So that's something that is actually like you could not even hit one of these sites with a bomb, but if it explodes nearby, the shock wave could really cause damage to these really old mm-hmm. structures and old buildings. So that yeah. is something that is potentially going to be causing harm. Ukraine's doing what they can to protect these, but you can only do so much, and they have to protect their people, of course. Yeah. And, and you know, fight back the Russians. Yeah. But uh, adding it to the list, at least, the, the danger list, opens the door to possibly more financial and technical aid. Yeah, you know? it's it's almost like by doing that, they can get the help that they need. Yeah. So it's not meant to be, like, throwing shade at Ukraine for not taking care of their sites. It's more like, okay, well, if we put you on this list, you can get some help, potentially. Yeah. You know, so that would yeah. that's good for them. So just a little bit about these sites. Kiev's St. Sophia Cathedral was listed as a World Heritage Site in 1990. Mm-hmm. It symbolizes the New Constantinople, which is the capital of the Christian principality. It was created in the 11th century, and that is in a region that converted to Christianity after the baptism of St. Vladimir in 988. But I thought that was Istanbul, not Constantinople. Oh. <sighs> <laughs> Why is if this my music life? <laughs> weren't copyrighted, everybody knows what we'll be playing right now. Right. <laughs> so this cathedral helped contribute to the spread of the Orthodox faith and thought on the European continent in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries. Yeah. So it was a very important cathedral throughout that time period. And the city of Lviv, or Lviv, or whatever it is. It's uh, not French. I know, but <laughs> it's, hey, it's got an L and an apostrophe in Ukraine. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was added to the World Heritage List in 1998. Mm-hmm. It was founded in the Middle Ages and flourished from the 13th to the 20th centuries. I'm like, the 20th centuries was last century. Yes. How did it not flourish then? What happened? I mean, I think it's still flourishing, probably. Okay. But maybe more as a tourist center than right. a, you know, cultural center. <laughs> but Well, also, you know, maybe it's been, had the crap bombed out Maybe of it. Maybe it has. Yeah, in the yeah, last two I'm years. Yeah, I'm actually not right? sure. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. its medieval urban topography has been preserved, which is one of the reasons why it was listed. Mm-hmm. So all the traces of the different ethnicities, communities, all ethnic communities. also the traces of the different ethnic communities that lived there are intact. They really love these like melting pot cities because it's similar yeah. to the one we talked about in the last segment. It was a place where different cultures came together and added their stamp onto mm-hmm. the community and the architecture, and that was important enough to get it listed on the UNESCO World Heritage Site. Yeah, and it spans ma- multiple cultural expressions, I guess, given yeah. its you know many hundred year time frame. Yeah, which means some of the magnificent Baroque and later buildings are also intact and are part of the reason why it was listed. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. So, Although sad because you know it's on the danger list. <laughs> yes, hopefully the bombing won't do anything yeah. any harm to it, but just in case it's been put on that danger list. So, right. Yeah. All right. Well, I th- I'm hoping that once we get this episode published, because we're recording it a little bit ahead of time, we'll try to find a, the most current article we, article we can with all the listed World Heritage sites yeah. that were done this year. So yeah. hopefully they're done by then and we can get that. So check your show notes for hopefully the most current list. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to talk about 
because this has been kind of like a glowing review of the UNESCO World Heritage Site list, and mm-hmm. as well it should be when a new when new lists like this come out, it's really a good thing for everybody involved. And you know, I think that it should be praised for what they're doing, but you do have to, you know, take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there are criticisms of the UNESCO World Heritage List, and those are things that should be noted at least. And as you might imagine, the criticism is that it is very Eurocentric <laughs> and right. it has been over the years. Now, part of that is because of the way that it evolved, which was the it first started in 1954 against the backdrop of the devastation of World War II. Mm-hmm. So they were very focused on Europe yeah. coming off of World War II and protecting those areas. So, you know, it has expanded a lot over the years and... Like we've talked about a couple times, you have to have the know-how and the resources and the ability to apply to, you know, to nominate Mm -hmm. a site for inclusion. And a lot of these third world countries just didn't have the resources to do that. So that's why they were underrepresented until the last couple decades. So I think it's getting a lot better now. And if you look at the, the sites that are included today, it does like the new sites that Mm -hmm. we just talked about, it includes Countries all over the world, oh, yeah. places all over the world. So it does seem to be much, a much better representation. So, yeah. yeah. And the that, one other, oh, go ahead. But that is right. It's all about the nomination. Yeah. If you don't nominate it, they don't know it exists. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that happens is tourism. Yeah. When you put one of these sites on the list, then it causes tourism to happen. Tourism can displace the original inhabitants because it becomes more focused on tourism rather than the people that live there. And also there can just be, you know, if they don't do a good job of protecting the the mm-hmm. site and the places and the monuments, then they can be hurt by that tourism too. So there's a lot that, you know, just getting put on the list means that the country or the place has to be really ready to accept all that tourism and then protect both the people and the place from that tourism because tourism is good but it has to be done in the right way so so yeah those are a couple of the criticisms of unesco some unesco's fault (laughs) given the way you know it originated and also some just the byproduct of tourism that you have to be ready to accept so yeah indeed all right well with that we're gonna go explore some more greece yeah (laughs) all right thanks a lot Bye. bye Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, Dig Tech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.